0: Welcome to Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers. I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, and also a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. In each episode, I will offer a 10 to 15 minute reflection on one or several of these themes. And my hope is that these reflections will support both your practice and or your teaching of yin yoga and meditation. In this episode, I'll be looking at the classical list of difficult mind states that come up in meditation. These are what are referred to as the hindrances in Buddhism. I'll consider conventional strategies for dealing with the hindrances and also look at how a yin approach brings unique ways of releasing yourself from conflict with them, namely through non-resistance and wisdom. So let's get started. Okay, so whenever the topic of samadhi or wise stillness is discussed in Buddhism, it is usually done in reference to the obstacles or hindrances in the mind that block the development of samadhi. The hindrances are a short list of challenging mind states. They are the usual suspects that tend to agitate one's mind. And the list includes these, desire, aversion, restlessness, sleepiness, and doubt. Typically it's taught that in order to attain stillness or samadhi, the meditator has to overcome these obstacles first. These challenging mind states are presented as impediments and things to get past or beyond. But, in our exploration of three ways to enter stillness, three ways that can arise naturally in a yin approach to meditation, I want to suggest that rather than coming to stillness by overcoming or suppressing the hindrances, you might find yourself going into states of stillness simply by virtue of better understanding these mind states, and in doing that, releasing yourself from struggling with them. But before I present the case for a yin strategy of working with the hindrances, let me begin by reviewing some of the more conventional ways of working with them. If you look at traditional books on Vipassana meditation or mindfulness meditation, or if you attend a Vipassana retreat, you will likely receive some instruction on how to work with these mind states. And the instructions might sound like some variation of this. First, you you receive the basic instruction to focus the mind on either the breath Or sensation in the body. Then if you find your mind drawn into one of these challenging mind states, say you start to fantasize about having something like a cup of tea or coffee or just taking a nap, you then might be guided to recognize that desire is present and operative in your mind. You then receive the instruction to label it as desire and perhaps not to identify with it, to see it as a changing experience. And then you'd be told to turn your attention back to the primary object of attention, such as your breath or body. So that's usually the first suggestion that is given on how to work with a hindrance just to notice what's happening and then to redirect your attention back to the primary object of the meditation. Now, if this approach proves incapable of restoring your mind's balance and calm presence, you might then receive a series of more specific instruction, sort of secondary and tertiary instruction and the specificity of these instructions depend on which particular hindrance you're dealing with or which particular hindrance is most activated. For example, let's say you're experiencing a desire for a person or something to eat. You might then be instructed to contemplate the unattractiveness of the body you desire, or perhaps the financial and long-term limitations of pursuing this particular desire. All of these are kind of antidotes to the desire's wish, to counteract the energy of the desire. And this classical approach more or less suggests replacing the challenging energy of the mind, the hindrance, with a more sobering, corrective reflection. Similarly, if you're feeling ill will towards yourself or towards someone else, this strategy would recommend that you might cultivate metta, or feelings of loving kindness and friendliness, towards yourself or the object of your ill will. Again, here you see a practice where you simply replace the challenging thought, or dynamic, with a more wholesome thought or energy. To continue if you suffer from sleepiness typical instructions include standing up rubbing your eyes or earlobes or splashing cold water on your face with restlessness or agitation the typical advice is to calm your mind by focusing on the breath and to let the breath soothe that restless energy and finally if you're plagued with doubt say doubt about yourself your ability to practice or doubt about the practice itself or doubt about your teacher not trusting, not sure if the teacher knows what they're talking about. In all these cases, you might be encouraged to think critically and reflect on the condition, to know it as doubt, and to discuss it perhaps with a trusted friend or a teacher as a way to overcome the wavering uncertainty in your mind. But above all these specific antidotes to the hindrances, generally speaking, the universal antidote to any of these hindrances is usually to simply bring as much mindfulness to their arising in your experience as possible. That is to know them fully with awareness and clear comprehension. You might be instructed to see them as transient conditions of experience that don't remain static when you observe them mindfully. Now with all of these previous approaches, you may start to notice that there's a strong dynamic of doing something specific to remedy the unpleasant experience of the hindrance. The language used in the early Buddhist suttas, that is the discourses of the Buddha, these teachings deploy these kinds of verbs and listen to their active doing or yang quality. You might be told to overcome the hindrances or to restrain the hindrances or to abandon the hindrances or to purify the mind of the hindrances. All of these suggest it's better to just get rid of these difficult mind states. Now, this may seem a little off topic, but a phrase from a few years back seems to give a modern feel for the attitude that the meditator is being invited to adopt. And that phrase is, if you'll remember, you're not the boss of me. Remember that? You're not the boss of me. In short, the strategy for dealing with the hindrances might be summarized like this. Here it is. I'll be mindful of you, oh dear hindrance, so long as you don't push me around and knock me off balance. I see you, and you're not the boss of me. With mindfulness, I will weaken your influence and regain my balanced composure. So those are some of the common active or dynamic strategies for dealing with the hindrances. And if those work for you, I encourage you to use them and keep them in your kind of spectrum of yogi meditative tools that you use. But in contrast to these more activated and yang approaches towards working with the hindrances, I found it incredibly fruitful to adopt a more yin approach in my own practice. Rather than deploying any prescribed technique or strategy upon encountering their presence, I found that bringing just a relaxed, receptive, tolerant, and curious energy towards these mind states to be a really good first step. These qualities themselves reframe the energy that my mind has in relating to the hindrances. I'm not in an attack mode, Seem to overcome them. I'm a bit softer and friendlier, encouraging a broader exploration of these mind states. Now, initially, this might not do very much to abate or mitigate the intensity of what I'm feeling. In fact, the energy of the hindrance may actually bloom and even expand more. This isn't a bad thing. In this yin approach, I might try to allow the hindrance to fully express itself, This may allow the hindrance to grow into a more vivid fantasy of actualizing the desire, actually achieving it, or extracting punishment if I'm feeling ill will, or abandoning the meditation altogether if I'm plagued with doubt. I might find myself initially becoming more agitated too, or groggy, or more confused. And these experiences, these challenges, might even populate a large percentage of my time in a particular meditation session. But here's the thing. In letting these energies and dynamics express themselves fully, I release a lot of my conditioned resistance to their presence. And in doing that, I create some internal space within which I might better develop understanding around the things that go on within them, such as the fuel or dynamics that keep these hindrances going. So in my mind, here are two big benefits that I see in this approach, this yin approach to meditation in working with the hindrances. First, in releasing my conditioned resistance to the hindrance, I frequently find myself almost spontaneously slipping into states of stillness themselves. Here, stillness emerges as a result of non-resistance to the hindrances, and it's not a fragile state that is attained by overcoming them. And this is a subtle but important point that deserves emphasis. In traditional approaches to meditation, or approaches to coming to stillness, These approaches are actually quite fragile in that they depend on the stability or the ability to focus on a specific object or task. In other words, your stillness is dependent on being focused on one thing, and if it gets knocked off from that, your stillness is gone. But in this non-conventional approach to stillness, there's an emphasis that develops a more robust quality of non-resistance towards all experience. That means that the quality of stillness will be there more generally if it's emphasized in your meditation and that leads to the second benefit so the second benefit is that in allowing your mind to go into the full expression of what the hindrance is should they arise in your meditation but by not deploying cursory techniques to squash or stop their presence by allowing yourself to become more comprehensively exploratory and and interested in understanding these various mind states you will likely find that this capacity of understanding translates rather seamlessly into your daily life. By being with these mind states fully in meditation, you'll develop a whole range of qualities from gentleness, to tolerance, to interest, to patience, that you might find will accompany you when you encounter these mind states outside of the meditation. For example, when difficulties inevitably arise in your life, you won't have to escape the difficulty and listen to some guided meditation app, or take 10 deep breaths, or step outside of the experience for a while. Rather, you will have new personality structures developed at the ready to help you face, work, and navigate this conflict. And that's all the result of a meditation practice that you can really trust. Now, it might seem that I'm being rather unconventional and um disconnected from the way the Buddha might have been teaching about how to deal with these hindrances himself. So I want to dip into the actual language and see if there's any lesson within that. This is the actual language that the Buddha is attributed to have uh, taught in the Satipatthana Sutta. This is the core famous teaching on the four foundations of mindfulness. So here is the actual language attributed to the Buddha in the Satipatthana Sutta around bringing mindfulness to each hindrance. I'm just going to read the section on dealing with sensual desire as an example. So the Buddha says, Here, monks, when sensual desire is present in him, the monk knows there is sensual desire in me. Or, when sensual desire is absent, he knows there is no sensual desire in me. Or, he knows how the arising of non-arisen sensual desire comes to be. Or he knows how the rejection of the arisen sensual desire comes to be. And he knows how the non-arising in the future of the rejected, abandoned sensual desire comes to be. That's a little dense. But notice how comprehensive this reflection is. It's not simply a matter of some facile recognition. Oh, yeah, there's desire in me right now nor is it a prescribed formula of labeling the hindrance or telling yourself that the thoughts and feelings of the hindrance aren't really me. The Buddha is not saying, say to yourself, oh, this is not me, or don't identify with this desire. No, what the Buddha says to me is this, know these things, know who these mind states inside and out, know what fuels them, know what cuts them off or cuts off that fuel supply, know what it's like when these energies are operative in your mind, and know what it's like when they're absent or unarisen. In other words, get to know how these mind states really, really work. And I can't really think of a better way to do that than to learn to be with them gently in one's meditation and really explore them for as long as they are there. As I've mentioned before, I'm indebted to Jason sif's teaching for opening my mind and practice to working with these energies in this way. Jason once mentioned to me, he said, the hindrances are our humanity. And that kind of stopped me in my tracks. It was at once an immediate truth of salient clarity, but also kind of a mysterious or inscrutable koan-like statement that I've been mulling on over since. But in working with my full humanity in the practice, I realized that there has been a very gentle, gradual development of skillful qualities. So here's my last point here, and that is this that this yin approach to meditation also helps avoid the common tendency for people to try and spiritually bypass painful experiences in their life or practice. You may not be familiar with the term spiritual bypassing, but that's a phrase that refers to how people use spiritual practices to actually avoid or go around painful and difficult issues in their life. I'll say much more about that in a lesson on spiritual bypassing. But I'll stop there for now. And in the next episode of Everyday Sublime, I'll talk about how sleepiness, the dull lethargy in the mind, is actually a surprising and counterintuitive way of entering states of calm and stillness. I look forward to sharing that with you with insights from my practice to yours. Now, if you'd like to follow along with Everyday Sublime, please subscribe in iTunes. I left the link for you in the show notes Or you can subscribe directly on my site at joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. Also, if you'd like to study or train in yin yoga with me, check out yinyogaschool.com. Thanks so much for listening today, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.